You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Borowski, and we've got a great dialogue for you today. I'm so honored to have Amber Rose Washington with us. Amber is an author, songwriter, musician, producer, public speaker, and advocate for the transgender community. Her book, Hiding From Myself, is an Amazon bestseller. She also grew up in a haunted house, y'all, so we're going to have a great supernatural conversation, I think. Amber, it is wonderful to have you here. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So not everyone can say they grew up in a haunted house. So give us an idea of what everyday life was like in this haunted house and what sort of haunting was it? So in order to give you a really good idea, let me give you the background of where I lived. I lived in upstate New York. You know, obviously everybody, everybody calls it upstate New York, but we were really only in about an hour and a half from New York City, but we still considered ourselves upstate New York. <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of downstate, you know? We just didn't have the accent that you would get in Brooklyn where all my friends were from. Mm-hmm. But I was actually from the county in New York that Dirty Dancing was based upon. Mm. So there's a lot of history there, a lot of old hotels, a lot of very old houses. I lived in a colonial style house in a town named Liberty, New York, and that was a very small town too. Back in the day, it was like a Mecca, like there was so many people that would visit that area. It was a very historic area. And you know, all the famous people from the earlier days of comedy and television would show up to send on this little tiny town that had more deer than people, right? (laughs) My parents bought this old house that was built in 1920. The person that built it was a veterinarian in the town, and he wanted to build a house for himself. And then he wanted to also build a second house next door for his son. So he built both of these houses within 10 years of each other. The first house was built in 1920. It was, if you can picture one of those houses, that's the old style Northeastern colonial house with the, with the third story, which is an attic with those small attic windows, not Amityville horror style windows like eyeballs, but Mm -hmm. very close, right? It's kind of spooky to look at that type of house, right? So that's the house I grew up in. I moved there with my parents when I was two years old. My sister was one. From the moment we moved in, there was some weird things going on that were not disclosed to us. And we learned these things as we went along, learning from neighbors that knew the the owners from before, from relatives of the owners and them talking about things. Apparently, it all began when I was about four years old. Oh, I'm laying wow. in my bed. If you can imagine my bedroom, I'll lay it out for you. Okay. Second story of the house. It's a rather decent sized bedroom for a kid's bedroom. But on one end of the room, there was this huge door and the door would lead up to a full size attic. So I had the pleasure of, you know, having the room with the spooky attic door in it. Oh right? my goodness. So. <laughs> 
and back then, you know, closets were not these big walk-in closets and they weren't these, you know, folding door closets. There was a, another door that looked just like the attic door, but it would be this little dinky closet. Mm. So my bed was sort of on one end of the room, the attic door was on the other, and you couldn't see the attic door because you had around a corner. So the wall where my bed was, that wall was the wall of bridging the stairway going up. Okay, mm. so imagine that. And I'm about four years old and I keep hearing footsteps upstairs. Oh my goodness. And I didn't know how to really digest that at four years old. Yeah. Then I would hear clinking and clanging and, and more footsteps, which were way different than the clinking and clanging, by the way, because I could actually watch with my eyeballs. I could watch the footsteps move across the attic. I remember each night I would get out of bed and I would find anything, whether it was a stick or something long. Sometimes I'd bring the broom to bed with me and I would take the end of the broom handle and I would reach up to the light switch. Because in those old houses, the light switches were also very difficult to turn on because they were like the same light switches we have now, but they were, they were like a big click. It was kind of difficult to lift it up. Yeah. So a little kid couldn't do it and it was offset on the wall higher up. So I turned the light on in the middle of the night. <laughs> and one night my dad walked past my bedroom and saw the bedroom light on and he saw that I was awake and holding the covers over my head. He goes, I what's wrong? And I said, there's somebody walking upstairs. And he goes, no, there's nobody walking upstairs. It's okay, go to sleep. And I said, no, there is, there really is. And I was crying and he couldn't get me to sleep. So he says, tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna prove it to you. Come on. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm not going anywhere near that door. And right. he convinced me that he'll keep me safe. And we walked up those stairs and on the very top landing, you could see this six foot long cast iron radiator. Not sure if your audience knows what a radiator looks like. <laughs> it's so old, but a cast iron radiator is what you use to heat your house in the Northeast, in those houses. And it would have steam inside of it. And when the steam built up to a certain level, it would start to clink and clang. Lo and behold, we get up there and the thing starts clinking and clanging. He goes, this is what you're hearing, honey. I said, oh, but what about the footsteps? Because that's just the house settling. It's not a big deal. This happens to all old houses. So I went back to bed. I go to sleep. And then about an hour later, I hear... <clears throat> the attic door opened all by itself. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, that's weird. Because my, <laughs> my dad just closed this door an hour ago. And he had a tough time closing it. It's not like what... Those old doors are not, they're not like you could just swing them open and close. You yeah, actually had to work heavy. at it. You actually had to work at it. So I was a little freaked out and I, I sort of got the courage to go to the edge of my bed. And I got to the edge of my bed and I looked over and sure enough, that attic door was wide open. And then I heard footsteps walking out of my room and going down the stairs, the main stairs of the house. Oh my and it was the weirdest, weirdest thing. I mean, I, I didn't understand at the time what was going on and the only reason i remember all this is because it happened over and over and over and over again like yeah. repeated itself every night about 15 minutes later i hear the footsteps again and my, my head is underneath the covers right i'm like <laughs> yeah really scared so 
I hear, and I hear the attic door shut. Wow. And it was just so weird. And then I hear the footsteps upstairs again. And I hear the clinking and clanking happening again. And this goes on literally for a, about a week at that point. And I said, Dad, something keeps opening the attic door. He goes, the attic door can't open by itself, sweetie. Maybe you're sleepwalking or something. Mm. I said, no, I'm awake. He looks at the door and sure enough, it's open. So he goes, hmm. All right, well, let me close this for you. So he closes it. And this is about six o'clock at night. And then unbeknownst to him, I raided our encyclopedia library <laughs> downstairs. And I grabbed one by one, a whole bunch of these encyclopedias, probably about 40 pounds worth of encyclopedias, wow. and set them up in front of the door so that the door wouldn't open anymore. Yeah. And my sister was like, how do you even sleep in there? And I go, I don't know. I don't want to be in here anymore. And she was freaked out even being in her room. I put those things in front of the door and about an hour later after putting them in the door, I'm sound asleep and I hear Wow. And sure enough, the attic door was wide open again. The books were laying all over the floor like they had been pushed over. About an hour later or a little less, the door closes again all by itself. So this went on forever. My dad could not figure out what it was. Well, he knew what it was. He just didn't want to tell us kids because they had already learned that there was something in the house. Oh no. There was something in the house that they didn't want to tell us about. And I guess it's because they didn't want to freak out the kids, yeah. me and my sister. But the reality was that it was nothing bad from what they understood. The grandmother of the person that built the house apparently died downstairs in a fourth bedroom. She was sort of the housekeeper of the house, if you will. And mm -hmm. apparently she was some sort of, they call it a residual haunting because yeah. she didn't really interact with us much. And that changes, by the way, in this narrative. I learned to deal with the attic door opening and closing. And by the time I'm 10 or 11, I purchased a padlock and padlocked the door. And I got okay. by all my friends. And I remember this one girl, Shannon, would say, oh, what are you doing? You're putting a padlock on your door? What are you afraid of a little ghost? And I'm like, oh yeah, girl, you go in that room and sleep there. Tell me how you- Yeah, you stay there for the last five, six, seven years. <laughs> it was so, it was hard. You know, I just dealt with it. My sister dealt with it because she knew what was going on too. Mm. So. We fast forward a little bit until we're a little bit older, maybe 10, 11 years old, and we start feeling like someone's sitting on the edge of our bed, where our feet are, and they would stand up abruptly and would shake the bottom of the bed. It would spring the bed up. Sort of like that feeling you get when you are falling asleep and you feel like you're falling yeah. and you would shake in your bed, but only the shaking would happen at the foot of your bed only. We would go downstairs in the morning, typically on a Saturday or so, and, and we'd talk about the bed shaking. And all of us would sort of, you know, track what time it was happening. And it was always happening between 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. We didn't know why. I don't know why. I still don't know why. But it was always happening at that time of, of the night. And it was quite weird because it was happening on all of our beds at the same exact time. Oh, wow. Right? So... And that's the thing about whether you believe in the paranormal or not. And, you know, I'm one of those people that sort of 
I sit on a fence and sort of look at things. I'm kind of a geeky girl. I, I think about, you know, science and everything yeah. else and explainable things and yeah. what it could be. But I also know that, you know, there's stuff we just don't understand here in this three-dimensional fish tank we live on, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we sort of dealt with that, you know, like, okay, maybe she's trying to wake us up. Who knows? And then it turned into... I started writing music at about 13, 14 years old. So I had a little recording studio in my bedroom. I'm writing music and, and doing everything until about, you know, for, for a person that age, I was like midnight, I was still up and then I'd go to bed. Mm -hmm. And then around the same time at night, three in the morning, you'd hear a radio or a DJ on the radio, sort of like someone talking, no singing, no music, just, somebody almost like a whisper on an am radio you'd hear mm -hmm. and i'm gonna do it and it's gonna freak you out just me doing it it's it's like oh gosh no it was a weird whisper and you would swear to god okay mom and dad you know went to bed tonight and they left the tv on downstairs so i'd get mm -hmm. out of bed and i'd go down the stairs and it was pitch black downstairs and Obviously, the TV was off, the radio was off, and I'd be standing there in the middle of the living room listening. And mm. I'd listen and I'd hear, it was just freaky. And I, I'd be like, oh, I must be crazy. It's coming from upstairs, not downstairs. Why did I come down here? So I'd very, very scared. I'd walk back upstairs. I'd listen in the hallway to figure out which room is it coming from. And I'd hear it again. And it was coming from downstairs. I was like, oh no, goodness. it was right the first time. It's downstairs. So I go downstairs. It's absolutely down here. Okay, focus. And you would still hear it. And it was definitely coming from upstairs. So wherever you were, it was coming from the opposite place from where you were. Good grief. So this happened to me. This happened to my sister. This happened to my dad. We all exchanged wow. stories at different times about how we would go upstairs, downstairs, oh upstairs, my <laughs> like crazy people trying to figure out where this radio was because yeah. it was annoying and we could never understand what they were saying, you know, and there was yeah. no, we didn't own a CB radio. My music equipment was unplugged. Um, it definitely wasn't coming from that. Wow. And that went on for years, uh, that, that sort of thing. And it happened probably, I want to say, about three times a week. Hmm. And, you know, at this time in our life, you know, I'm, I'm, hit, I'm 14 going on 15. I'm like, all right, she's not done anything bad, you know, if it is her. And the whispering I can deal with, the attic door, <laughs> jokes on her, I have the door <laughs> gone, right? right? So it was the summer and it was a, a, sort of gonna be a rainy day and I'm alone. I'm 15 years old. I am getting into music more. Now I'm in my little heart meets Bat, Pat Benatar phase of my life, right? So <laughs> uh -huh. I'm like, I learned how to play piano, drums, you know, guitar, you name it. And I'm sort of jamming out to this song that I'm writing about this boy that really well, he pissed me off, so I wanted to write a song about it. <laughs> there you go. So I'm writing this song, and it's really got this really, you know, back then, you look at Hart or Pat Benatar now, and it seems kind of tame, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, if your listeners even know who that is. <laughs> I do. Yeah, well, good. 
you know, you, you listen to that music now and it seems kind of tame, but for us back in the day, that was like, that was the stuff that was, oh, yeah. she was, she was a badass, you know, and, you know, and you listen to the guitar and the heavy distortion. And so I'm playing this music really loud and my parents and my sister are at the grocery store. So I have the whole house to myself. You know, my door is closed. This particular week, the attic door did not have the padlock on it because we were moving stuff for a yard sale. So we had just left it off and I didn't care. I was 15 now and nothing's gonna bother me. And you know, if the door opens, big deal. You know, mm -hmm. I don't care. There's no padlock. I'm sitting there at the, the window in my room, by, by the way, it was wide open. And if you understand the 1920s home, the windows have these ropes on the side that open and shut the window. You can't see the ropes, they're inside the framework. Hmm. What this means is you can't just open these old windows, you sort of have to shimmy them open. And once they're open, it takes a grown man like my dad or someone to actually physically close them. They just don't close because he used to have to rub, believe it or not, wax on mm. the sides of the window frame to get it to close again. Wow. So the window's wide open, the curtains are there, it's getting cloudy. I'm jamming out to this really cool song, by the way. And about a minute into the song, I hear and the attic door slams open against the wall. There's a wall behind that with a window and it opens up really fast. And as I am trying to, I'm, I'm startled, right? Cause I heard it. I turned around and as I'm turning around, the I'm watching the attic door slam shut in front of my eyes. Oh my God. And now I'm like, oh my God, that scared me. Like yeah. every goosebump on my body was literally screaming. Right? So yeah. I'm standing there going, Pull it together, girl. All right, so here's what it is. It's my window. The window is open. The curtains are there. They're not blowing, which is a little weird, you know, because you would yeah. think if, if there's a draft and it's some sort of suction sort of yeah. thing, opening and closing the door, maybe that's what it is. But then I said to myself, there's no way the wind from my window could open that damn door all by itself, because that's not an easy door to just keep opening and closing. So I, I sort of chalk it up to it's the weather. It's going to rain soon. It's got to be that. So I turn the music back on. And about 15 seconds into this same part that I was playing, the door opens and closes, slams open again, closes. And for the third time, it opens and closes and then slowly creaks back open. Oh, my God. Now I have what's called amygdala hijacking. And amygdala hijacking is when you overreact to a stimulus, right? Because the amygdala is the emotional center of your brain. Uh-huh. And I remember standing there frozen in place. I could not move a muscle. It was terrifying. But still, my scientific brain broke in and said, I'm going to go close that damn window. If I can figure out how to do it, I'm going to do yeah. it. I'm, I want to do this music. I'm not going to let the door opening and closing scare me. She's done this a million times. However, she's never done it this mean before. Yeah. I start to make my way over towards the window, which currently at this point is about 12 feet away from me. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking over towards the window, I'm about six feet away now. The window, I s you can't make this up. This is the absolute God's honest truth. The window slammed shut by itself. The glass broke in 
at me, towards oh my me. God. And the door slammed shut that was creaking back open on the attic door again. Uh. And then it started to slowly open again. At that point when it was starting to open again and the glass was like all over my floor, I immediately got the whereabouts to rip open my door and I ran down the stairs of the house. There's 20 stairs. I missed 17 of them, by the way. Oh my God. I whipped up <laughs> You flew. <laughs> and I went out in that front yard in the sidewalk and I looked up into my room at the broken window and it's starting to sprinkle. And I just stared up there waiting for this boogeyman or something to be looking back at me. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. There's no, you know, I was 15. There's no effing way I'm going back into that house, right? Yeah. My parents, my parents get home. This is hysterical. It's starting to rain now. Now I'm soaking wet, right? I'm standing in, in the front yard looking at the house. I turn to look at the car and they stop, you know, halfway up the driveway and said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I said, I can't go in the house. There's whatever I did. I made the ghost angry and she's really upset. She broke my window and there's a lot going on right now. And there's no way I'm going to that house. And I was hysterical. I was crying. My mom got out of the car and she's hugging me and she's like, it's okay, get it, get out of this rain. And my dad takes hold of me and he says, listen, let's go up together and figure this out. My sister's like, I'm going to stay down here and help unpack the groceries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lucky her. So I go upstairs with my dad and he sees the window is smashed, broken. He goes, were you trying to open your window or something and you broke it? Or did you accidentally throw something through the window? I said, dad, the glass is broken inward. He goes... Good point. Hmm. All right. So you didn't throw anything through the window. Explain to me what you mean by the window just closed by itself. These windows don't close by themselves. Dad, I swear to God, the attic door started opening and closing, opening and closing. He looks over at the attic door. He sees it's open. He goes, where's the padlock? I said, it's off this week. Remember? He goes, yeah, yeah. So he proceeds to say, all right, listen, we got to, we got to, we got to understand what's going on. What were you doing? And I said, I was writing this song and I pressed play. And he goes, turn that off quick. <laughs> I said, what? And he says, don't play that type of music, please. And I said, why? And he said, let's go downstairs and talk about this. And I went downstairs and my mom, my sister, myself, we all sat down and, and they began to explain whenever something unorganized or loud happens in our house, she goes crazy. Whatever this is, we're calling it a she. Yeah. Whatever this is, doesn't like it. And, and weird things happen. Like there was one night when there was an argument, like my parents very rarely argued ever. I mean, all parents argue, but they argued one night. And, and my dad said in the basement, the laundry sink downstairs, which is a very old fashioned laundry sink, had the hot water spurting out of it that somehow the dial, it had, it, those, those old sinks had a dial. Like you, do, you just don't open these dials. They're yeah. very difficult. Was, you know, hot water like steam coming out of it. And he had to go downstairs and turn it off. And he went back upstairs and five minutes later it was back on again. He's like, oh, what is going goodness. on here? This, this. So he knew he needed to like calm things down too, right? So we all sort of learned to live with this, this thing, whatever it was. And he says, don't play that music. I know you like figuring out what you want to do with music and everything and maybe try something else. And here's the interesting part of the whole story. About a week after I took his advice, I started writing a song and 
It was the first ballad that I ever had ever written. Incidentally, that was the song that got me into the music business. Mm. And I remember writing this song because the attic door opened right before my eyes as I was writing the song. I walked over to the attic. I wasn't scared, right? I yeah. like I could go over to the attic and no problem. It, it it wasn't something that scared me like most people are like, oh no way, I'm not going near there. It, right. Whatever it was wasn't gonna hurt me. So I walked over there and for about oh I gotta put time to this five seconds, four seconds, there was a waft of roses. Hmm. The smell of roses for about four seconds and then it was gone forever. Nothing. Wow. The mustiness came back after the after that waft. So there's this waft of roses. I still don't know what that means. I looked it up once and never got an answer. I have no idea to this day. Hmm. But there was this very quick rose smell. And from that point forward, you know, there was, it was almost like she was helping me in directing me to write music. And in just two years after that, I was actually contracted to write a song for Lou Rawls and George Benson. If yeah. you remember those guys, yeah, um, I was I was already in the music business, and I was contracted to write a song. And you're very young at that time. I was still. super young, and when I was contracted to do that, I was just turning 18. Mm. You know, I was still living at home, right? So, yeah. so I had been writing music for a few years. I had gone to a few things in New York City, and I met I met by happenstance trying to get a bagel at the at the table in the back of the room at this music conference. I was trying to get a bagel and this older <laughs> lady walks up to me. I have no idea who she is. And she's she's saying, oh, the bagels are so hard to pick, aren't they? And, and I said, yeah, and hi, I'm Ann. And I said, I said my name to her and she goes, so where are you from? Are you from you know the city? I said, no, I'm from a place you wouldn't know. She goes, try me. I said, the Catskills. Oh, the cat skills, you know, Dirty Dancing was, and I was like, oh God, yeah, I already know all this. So she knew where I was from, and we had a half hour conversation about bagels, <laughs> and about that, and she goes, oh, I think you're just such a doll. Why don't you give me your portfolio? I see you have four of them there, and I promise you, no matter if I like it or not like it, I promise you on Monday, I'll give you a call back. How would you like that? Wow. Now, I didn't know who she was, so I'm like... She's got to be crazy if she thinks I'm going to give her one of my four packets that I'm going to give to producers today. I'm going to get I'm going to get a recording contract and I'm going to give up one of my packets to her. I felt so bad that I said, "Oh, okay, sure." And I was so mortified that I had to release one of my packets to this woman getting a bagel. So as soon as I do that, the girl behind her taps her on the shoulder. She goes, "Anne, we got to get you mic'd up for your keynote speech." And I'm like, what? Who was I just talking to? So Anne says, it was a pleasure to meet you. And we'll talk soon. And I promise I'll listen to this and call you on Monday, okay? Enjoy the show. And good luck today with everyone else. And I go in. I sit next to this person up front because I was one of the first people there. And he, he sort of leans over to me and goes, excuse me, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, how did you get Anne Ruckard to take your packet? I said, uh, she asked me for mine. He goes, bullshit. I said, no, he, she, she really did. She asked me for my packet. He goes, you are absolutely the most lucky person in this entire room. Oh my God. And as soon as that happened, I'm sort of saying to myself, 
who the F is Anne Ruckert? I didn't know who she was. And then a guy from ASCAP gets up on stage and he says, certainly a person that needs no introduction. <laughs> right? She is currently the vice president of the board of directors for the Grammy Awards. So I'm handing my stuff to the vice president of the Grammy Awards. Oh my goodness. Right? She's worked with Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Sting, and starts naming, you know, Quincy Jones, all these different people from the music <laughs> industry. She's sung with Aretha Franklin, Barbara Streisand, and over 3,000 other artists around the world. And she's also the creator of the National Jazz Foundation, the incomparable and the jewel of the music business, Miss Ann Ruckard. And I'm like, ready to faint, right? <laughs> ready to faint. Literally, she was the person that pulled me into the music business. Wow, She was the amazing. one who gave me my shot. And, you know, one of the first songs that I had given to her that I, I said I was hired to, you know, not hired, but selected to write a song for... George Benson and Lou Rawls because I wrote Smooth Jazz at that mm. time. And that song, you know, just this past November, now that's a long time ago, but from then to now, I was given my report and it has 112 million listens around the world. So wow. that, that wow. was sort of a nice milestone for me. You know, living in that house was really the precipice for all of this stuff because I got into music and I got into all this stuff. And I sort of ignored all of the nonsense going on in the house. And to this day, there's still stuff going on in the house. Someone else owns the house. Mm. And they called me you know, literally two months ago and said, you know, A, B, and C are happening here. Did you ever experience that? I said, oh, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's this one room. It's across from the hall the hallway from the bathroom upstairs. I said, yeah, that was my room. The attic door's in it, right? Yeah, yeah. I said, I did live there my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, it's the strangest thing. The attic door opens and closes all by itself every night. I said, yeah, get a padlock. You'll notice there's a padlock. Uh, I was gonna ask you about that. And I said, yeah, tell your daughter that you're just gonna padlock the door to stop it from opening. Whatever it's in your house isn't going to hurt you and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Because the scary part of our story is, is actually the house next door. The doctor mm. had built a house for his son. His, house, his son never moved in. Instead, another couple moved in. And there was a murder in the house. Oh, no. Ever since I was a little kid, that house and the property smelled like something died it, it smelled it was it just took on a weird weird smell like our lawn had clover grass and we had a pool and it was beautiful but if you took one step onto that property it smelled like rancid grass i don't know even how to explain what rancid grass smelled like, <laughs> but i get an idea yeah that tells you a little bit <laughs> we'd go there on halloween Right, we would stay away from that side of the property, but we would go there for Halloween. And the first time we went there for Halloween for candy, they opened the front door, the people that lived there. Actually, it was the second people that lived there. The first set of people that lived there had a tragic ending as well. Mm -hmm. And so now here's another couple that are having a tragic time in their lives, but we all went there for trick or treating. They opened the front door and that same smell of death came out the door. It was. It was wow. the most ridiculously horrible smell. And I noticed as I looked in the house, 
there's a huge stain uh. on the wall behind them. It was like this weird black stain. I told my dad and he says it's probably black mold. Mm. He talked to the to the people that were owning the house at the time and they actually had that wall torn down and they found it wasn't black mold at all. They didn't they couldn't identify what it was, but they tore the whole wall down, framework and everything. Put up a new wall, new two by fours, the whole deal. And less than two months later that black stain came back. Oh no. On a wall that doesn't have any there's nothing that could cause that. It's a brand new wall. That's crazy. So somebody had died there violently and what they think happens is and, and I had another neighbor explain this to me, is that she stayed in your house to protect your house because whatever was in the other house was malevolent. It mm -hmm. was not it was not healthy. And it was constantly, they always thought it was constantly trying to make its way into our house. Oh, wow. They think that possibly, because they know about the story about the music and all that stuff. They think that was not Mrs. Freer. That was her name, Mrs. Freer. Hmm. They don't think it was her that was slamming that attic door and breaking the glass that almost, you know, could have blinded me because it yeah. flew all over me. They think that possibly that other entity made its way into the house. And every so often there was this weird feeling in our house and we decided to take it a little more seriously at that point because yeah. there's there's definitely to this day there's definitely the same problems they're seeing shadows move through the house uh -huh. now I said don't worry about the shadows they're annoying but they don't hurt anything either uh -huh. but they are freaky to see and you know you, you usually see them out of the periphery of your eyes but they're right. still there Loving Mad Tom. From the hag and hungry goblin that into rags would ringy, all the spirits that stand by the naked man in the book of moons defingy, that of your five sound senses you never be forsaken, nor wander from your cells with Tom abroad to beg your bacon. When I short have shorn my sour face and swigged my horny barrel, in an oaken inn I pound my skin as a suit of gilt apparel. The moon's my constant mistress, and the lonely owl my marrow. The flaming drake and the night crow make me music to my sorrow. I know more than Apollo, for oft when he lies sleeping, I see the stars at bloody wars and the wounded welkin weeping. The moon embrace her shepherd and the queen of love her warrior, while the first doth horn the star of morn, and the next the heavenly farrier. With a host of furious fancies, whereof I am commander, with a burning spear and a horse of air, to the wilderness I wander. By a night of ghosts and shadows, I'm summing to a tourney, then leagues beyond the wide world's end, methinks it is no journey. One thing I didn't tell you about that one day was when the attic door was opening and closing violently, it got really super cold in my room. Can't explain that one either. Like, it went from like, I don't know, 75 degrees, 76 degrees to like 51 degrees, wow. like in like three seconds. It was, it was almost like 
I, I couldn't see my breath or anything, but you mm -hmm. felt like you should be able to see your breath. It was that cold in the room. It was really cold. And I was like, still being scientific, maybe it's cold outside. But when I ran outside, it was in the 80s. It was really mm -hmm. hot outside. So I couldn't explain the coldness until I was an adult. And when I was an adult, I found out that sometimes, you know, these, these things absorb energy. And when they absorb energy, it's usually in the form of heat. And that's what makes it cold. Whether I believe that or not, I don't know. The jury's out. But that was the explanation I was given. And, you know, by that time in my life, I was already into, I was sort of disenfranchised with the Catholic Church and Christianity and that whole business. I, it just, it just was not my gig. I, I thought it was kind of a hypocritical, you know, sort of thing. So I got into some reading Wicca and, and witchcraft and, and other books and, and found out that it wasn't this weird demonic thing that people were doing and, and that it was just the, the manifestation of, of positive energy, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is not what I was taught in the church. The church, yeah. stay away from it. It's evil. and it's, it's Satan. It's this, it's that. And I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. You don't even know what you're talking about. And, yeah. and I became very very good with that because I, I, I wanted to, you know, given my situation in life, which you explained at the beginning of the thing, being transgender is not an easy thing. Mm -hmm. And being born transgender, and, and yes, I knew by the time I was four, it's not easy because none of us, contrary to popular myth that, that floats around the internet and all these people that, that have these crazy ideas about who we are, they seem to think we actually want to be this way. Yeah. I would never want to be born this way. I never asked for this. Mm. I would never want this. I missed out on every rite of passage mm. that any other girl goes through. Yes, I've gone through everything. I'm what you call post-operative. Uh, everything is aligned properly with me anatomically, you know, but spiritually and physically with my brain, my brain actually looks, and this is the interesting part of the neurology behind all of this, is that my brain and your brain are identical when it comes to that because we know that the cortical region of the female brain is very thick, mm. but the cortical region of the male brain is very thin, and mine's very thick. So there's this innate sense that we have, and they said children don't understand by the age of four what that means. Right. The only way I will say to them is, yeah, I didn't know the difference between genitals at that age, mm -hmm. but that's not what this is about. Everybody turns this into a, an argument about genitals. It has nothing to do with that. Right. You know, when you're a little kid, you have a subconscious innate sense of who you are. Absolutely. You were, you were treated like a girl. You were spoken to like a girl. You played, uh, did all these social things and everything lined up with you correctly because it, everything matched your body your brain and you know the social construct around you was all yeah. jiving. So never in your life did you have the thought, even for a millisecond of, huh, I wonder why, Mela, why are you a girl and why aren't you a boy? Mm -hmm. You should be a boy. You, know, you never had that conscious thought because you were congruent. But for those of us that are born incongruent, it's such a painful, conscious thought and what they did is they relegated that to mental illness mm -hmm. and it's not a mental illness even the dsm which is the american psychiatric association came out and said you know what 
all these years, we had it completely wrong and we apologize. And because it's not, if, if I was suffering from a mental illness and God bless anybody with mental illness, because mental illness is a serious thing that nobody should joke about because mm -hmm. people with mental illness can't help having it. I didn't, I just happened to be someone that didn't have it. And you know, when you're suffering from those things, it, it really weighs down on your life and you're unable to perform the things you want to do. I went on to be very successful, as as do millions of other people like me. We're attorneys, we're firefighters, we're military heroes, we're surgeons, we're politicians, we are, we're, we're, we're everywhere. And that's because we represent 0.7% of the population. And we're just like everyone else. We just yeah. had an unfortunate set of circumstances in the second trimester of pregnancy that caused yeah. this to happen. And now they've identified 20 genetic markers that are kind of at the root of some of this. But yet we have this, what's more scary than a ghost story is what's happening right now to people like me and to the children that are like me, mm -hmm. you know? There's 2,800 children a day born like me. That's what the numbers add up to be when you think about the population of the planet. What is the birth rate collectively of the planet? How many people per day are born? incongruent or transgender it's about 2800 wow. that's not going to stop just because somebody says oh you're not this or i don't believe this right. we're not a belief system we are not an ideology we're just part of the diverse human condition yeah i said do you do you believe in kids that get leukemia when they're born yeah how about congenital heart defects yeah people that are blind people that are deaf there's over 120,000 types of birth anomalies that happen. You all, you all understand those, right? Well, yeah. Well, why is it you're getting diarrhea of the brain just because sex and or gender is put into the mix? Yeah, I want to know that too. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It, it's yeah. illogical thinking. You know, that's one of the problematic areas of religion with me. That's a whole different topic. But, you know, that's my ghost story for, for the house at least. As it goes, it's not incredibly scary or anything, but I mean, if you didn't know any better and you lived there, it would be a scary, scary thing. I even told the owner of the house, I said, you know, when I'm back in New York, I would love to come visit you guys. And if you wouldn't mind, one night, I would love to be able to go up there, turn out the lights, go up in the attic all by myself and sit in the middle of the attic and just have a conversation and have closure. Because for the past, oh my God, 15 years of my life, 20 years of my life, I've been having a recurring dream every single week, maybe three times a week. And it's about that attic door opening. Oh, wow. And her trying to talk to me. So I sort of have this, I don't know, emotional connection where I want to say goodbye. Yeah. Which brings us to the interesting start of, part of the story. I work with a screenwriter. She's a wonderful, she's one of the masters of horror. Mm. And uh, she's written a lot of movies. She's worked with John Carpenter and, and, and people like that. And let's just say somebody like the person I just mentioned, possibly even that person, mm -hmm. want, wanted us to actually stay in the Amityville house for two weeks. Oh, wow. Take our cell phones away, take away everything, and just put us in there and have us write the screenplay for a new movie you know, while we're there. Yeah. And she told me this and I was, she's like, are you game? <laughs> and I said, 
Sign me up right now. Of course, I'll I'll sleep in the red room if that's the case. I don't care. <laughs> sure, I, that that stuff doesn't scare me. And she was good because you're like a magnet. Because she knows all my ghost stories. I have uh -huh. a hundred million of them that we haven't even talked about. But <laughs> she was like, "Yeah, this is great." So we tried to get the house, even though someone lives there. And the production company was told unequivocally by the attorney, "No, they, uh -huh. they're not interested in doing that." Blah blah blah. So. We moved on to part B, which is, did you see the movie Insidious or oh. any of any of those movies like that? Um, I think I did. Um, I have a hard time remembering one movie from the next, but it sounds very familiar. Oh, it's freaky. It's it's all about astral projection and, and, mm. and, and about demonic possession and all that stuff. And there's a house uh, in Rhode Island that in September we're supposed to go and stay there. Mm and just shut the doors and, and sort of feed off of each other and write this screenplay, which is a lot different than writing a book, by the way, because I'm currently writing two books right now. Mm. Uh, so th it should be an interesting thing if we do if we do actually do it. Oh yeah, I can't wait to <laughs> hear more of, about that. That sounds absolutely amazing. It'll be historic because never in the history of history have two transgender women gone to a haunted house that has been known to be like really heavy activity taken no form of protection uh, and walked in there and and stayed there for a couple weeks and, and wow. wrote a movie and you know so i'm i'm, I'm excited to tell you the truth i'm not scared of that stuff is this going to be a reality show where we get to see you the whole two weeks <laughs> you know that's what i wanted to do i said wouldn't it be a hoot if we could do that <laughs> She was a little worried. She was like, let's not do that because then you could have all the weirdos and wackos come out and, and try to do something to them. Oh, that's true. So I said, well, we do it anyway. But what we do is we say, you know, we're going to be in the house in October. Mm. Right. But we were really there in September. Yeah. But you don't, you don't publish your stuff on the internet. You make it look live and yeah. you sit there and you chat with people live when you publish it. But it actually happened a month ago. Okay. <laughs> The magic of Hollywood. Yeah, so, I mean, that's one way we're doing it. That's not making the people that want to make the movie very happy. They said that is not what we want. So mm. we sort of had a side burner that as well. So uh, right now I'm focusing on my book on how to get over stage fright because I helped so many people in my life get over stage fright, including myself. I mean, mm. let's be honest with each other. Being born trans and going through your life being perceived one way and you're definitely the other and then having to transition which is a nightmare in itself because I went through the wrong puberty the first time which is why I advocate for children that have that are actually transgender these states that are actually taking puberty blockers away which have been used for 40 years by the way yeah but you know we had someone in office the past four years that made it an issue out of nothing. There was never an issue. It was used for 40 years. All it does is delay puberty so that people that actually are afflicted with this can actually have puberty the correct way and not spend the rest of their natural lives and income trying to fix yeah. permanent damage from that first puberty. Because let me tell you, honey, this it's it was... It's the, it's the most painful, emotionally painful, physically mm. process that someone can go through. Mm. So no one would want to go through that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I see, 
I see people that were assigned female at birth have to do it. I see people that are assigned male at birth that have to do it. And it's all based on old science that we, we've grown from then, from crying out loud. You'd think we would have grown, yeah. Yeah, we haven't as a society. And, it, and, it, and it's unfortunate because, you know, 90% of this is got its roots in religion, unfortunately. And yeah, that's what I was just thinking. It's mythology to begin with. Disproving the Bible or the 100,000 different versions of it that exist. Yeah doesn't disprove a god i mean right I'm, I'm spiritual i i believe in god i just don't believe in this supernatural overlord that's hell-bent on sending me to the fiery pits of exactly hell, which is based on an actual place on earth not a, not some fiery pits right you know yeah. i i studied theology for 32 years so you know i have quite a background in that but that's actually chapter three of my current book called hiding from myself Mm -hmm. It's a book not meant for mostly trans people, but it's meant for everybody else so they can understand what it's like from, from my perspective of what this really is and the scientific process behind it, the medical information behind it from neurology, endocrinology, the, the study of genomics, all of those different facets that come together in the book that I've been proficient in. And, where I wasn't proficient in explaining, I brought the physicians in. Mm. And, and from theologians, I actually have a whole chapter called Losing My Religion that speaks about the, I don't know any other way to say it, but the craziness that exists yeah. in the Bible. So what I do is I say, all right, fine. 73% of all Catholics have never read the Bible themselves. 73%, that's a high number. Wow. Yeah. They go to church and let the priest do it. Yeah. And then there's these other versions of the Bible. Oh, the King James Version, because I'm a Baptist. The King James Version is, <laughs> is the one you should use. No, that's not true. The New Living Testament is the one you should use. And the Catholics are like, no, it's the NIV Version you should use. And can you imagine that's why there's 33,000 different denominations of, of Christianity now? Mm -hmm. That's a real number. People think I pull that out of my, you know what, but... There's actually 33,000 different denominations of Christianity because nobody can agree on the quote-unquote interpretation, right? Right. And you've got a Baptist, but you've got all these different Baptists, too. So oh every single one has yes. <laughs> 50 There's of them. Versions of that as well. So I'm not singling anyone out, by yeah. the way. And, you know, I, I actually get angry at every religion equally. There's 4,200 religions, and I've studied nine of them very very well and, and i would i would argue i studied nine of those religions more than 95 percent of of the people that would would ever listen to your podcast or otherwise i've yeah. i've read the translated quran i've read the pretext to the old testament i've read the codex sinaiticus i've read all the various iterations of the bible that came from actually mostly from writings that never existed at all to tell you the truth because mm -hmm. you know half the text was missing they had to make up the rest mm -hmm. and you can look that up it's historically relevant it's actually theologically relevant and then you look at the new testaments that are out there the whole bunch of them you know and what i try to tell people is i said listen if it makes you a better person go for it if it helps you on your journey in this three-dimensional rock we're on go for it but as soon as you start treating people like garbage because of some mythology that you're reading, then 
that's where we have to draw the line in society and say enough is enough. Because the reality is, is that a bunch of Middle Eastern men, and they were middle-aged by the way, and back then middle-aged was like 22. They wrote these these scriptures, these writings, and they were authors. And the Catholic Church had Constantine in 325 AD say, I'm calling together the First Council of Nicaea. And by the way, everybody can fact check me on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I can say that I've done a lot of research as well and I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and why would the instruction manual for all humanity, which is what they call the Bible, why in the world would man think they're so egotistical and arrogant as to change quote unquote God's word, right? If God is all, you know, if God is all knowing, right? And, you know, God is all powerful and knows everything. Why would we take his writings? Cause he supposedly penned the Bible, right? And there was no Bible. All the Bible is, is a compilation of different writings. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Because a bunch of guys in a room thought that would be the best way to control the society so everybody is of one mindset. Yep, you got that control. That's where it all comes from. That's what it's down to. And it's just so sad to watch people that are so ingrained in this, including some of my relatives. Mm -hmm. Bless their hearts. Bless Mm -hmm. their evil, evil little hearts. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've had three attempted exorcisms done on me. Mm. Why? Because obviously I have unpossessed with demons because I'm an abomination to God. If I'm an abomination to God, all men and women are because that's really all I am. I'm I'm a woman and it's because, you know, the human condition is so, so crazy. So many things can happen and you don't ask for it. You don't want to be like this. I mean, yeah. I suppose a crossdresser or, you know, a drag queen or something, they want to do that, you know, because that's an art form of some sort. But I have nothing in common with any of that. Yeah. You know? I'm not saying those things are bad or anything. I'm just saying... Yeah. That's not my reality. I, I, that is not me. I have nothing in common with any of that stuff. Yeah, you're not dressing up. You're just being you. Yeah, I could wear boys' clothes the rest of my life, and I'm still a girl. The only reason I got bottom surgery is so that I could feel safe, and you know, because they've made the bathrooms unsafe. Yeah. Now. And it's not us making it unsafe. It's the it's the cisgender people making it unsafe. Cisgender being congruent. You know, like yourself. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. you're making it, uh, but no, I know. We're not. We're, we're not making it unsafe. We yeah. just want to go in and pee, fix our makeup, and get the hell out of there. Because, as you know as well as I do, the women's bathroom is very disgusting. You know. Yeah. Between all the all the stuff going on in there, you know, nobody cleaning up after themselves. Hell yeah. We just want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> I know. It's the grossest place in the world. Yeah. So, you know, the people it's a bunch of guys trying to figure out they're making they're making solutions to problems that don't exist. And that is the absolute truth because never in the history of history of mankind can you ever find a transgender person that sexually assaults somebody in the bathroom. Do you know why? Because we're women. And you know what? It goes both ways. Can you imagine these laws going through where they say you got to go to the bathroom based on the gender you were assigned at birth? And so you'll, you'll have to go to the bathroom and get a genital exam, apparently. And oh couldn't you imagine a bunch of men with beards, deep voices, lots of muscles, tattoos, receding hairlines, 
walking into the women's room and the women going, oh my God, get out of here. No, mm -hmm. this is the bathroom I'm supposed to use because they want, they want me to use the bathroom I was assigned at birth. And that's actually the truth. That's what happens. You can't tell. When you transition from assigned female at birth to male, you can't tell. It's just so radically different than going the opposite direction, right? Once you have testosterone hit your body like it did me, I call myself a testosterone survivor. Mm. I, you know, I have to get over that. And once it was removed from my body, the damage was already done. So I have to go through these procedures so that I can, so I can what? Pass in public so I don't piss off a bunch of people that are so that ridiculous. are you know that are brain dead basically not understanding that women come in all shapes sorts and sizes right and you wish you could just say who the hell cares but they're a actively making life difficult oh yeah it's so it's unsafe so, it's so unsafe and and unfortunately it's more right now the number one population in the United States. Transgender people are absolutely the most marginalized population on the, on the planet because people don't understand it. Just like they didn't understand leprosy for 2,000 years when they thought it was the hand of God yeah. punishing the person for sinning against him. And then in 1873, a Norwegian scientist comes out and says it's just a myobacterial infection, not microbacterial, myobacterial. And they're like, oh. And then it would still take another 65 years for the church and society to concede that they had it wrong all along. Mm. So this 1873, he says, no, this is scientifically, this is what it is. It's not the hand of God for crying out loud. It took the church another 62 years or so to actually concede that they had it wrong all along. Mm. But think about the millions of people that had leprosy that were just shunned by society. Yeah. Some of them killed yeah. ritualistically because they were obviously sinners, cast away from society because they had a bacterial problem. It's sad. They do this with generation after generation. You know, I don't believe in the whole notion of read a history book or you're doomed to repeat history. I think we repeat history no matter what, whether we read it or not. You know, because we've been doing it forever. Yeah. We're still stuck in, in race wars here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to get into all that nonsense, but I think that's far scarier than ghost stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The real, maybe that's why people like ghost stories. Yeah. <laughs> because the real world is terrifying. One of my children is non-binary and yeah. they have been followed in the store and made fun of and bullied. Oh, my heart goes out to them and... You know, it, it's just, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and I completely empathize with what they have to go through because people just don't understand because in the 18th century, we, Western civilization and the colonialists that now, you know, took over what is now the United States, we were the ones that actually created the gender binary mm. construct. They think it happened forever and that we are the ones screwing up history. But we're actually reverting back to what it used to be because everybody knows that every culture around the world had multiple genders. Mm -hmm. We have the two-spirit of the Americas. So North and Central America had this, the, the two-spirit, right. which includes the indigenous people that, that were here. We have the shaman that's in, in, in Eastern Europe. We have the, a group of people called the Kahui uh, that, are, that are in Asia. And all of these different, and there's there's tons more. I'm just naming a few. Mm -hmm. And we knew, and they were highly revered in society. 
they were always highly revered because back then they said, wow, they possess both the feminine and the masculine and, and, and all sorts of things besides. Me, I was born into male privilege. If you ask any of my male friends, does male privilege exist? They say no. Mm. I say, oh my God, you guys are so out of it. Uh, it absolutely exists. And, and it's because I was born into that and treated that way. Mm -hmm. You know, by four years old, I was asking mom, what in the hell is going on? I, yeah. I was four years old saying prayers and then asking God to fix me by morning. And my oh mom my was in my head like I was like I was dying or something and, mm. and she knew she was a nurse and she didn't understand what the heck this was, but she knew there was something going on and, and mm. she protected me my whole life. And can you imagine in the 1970s, a mom being so loving that she got it because even today you see parents abandoning their children all the, the time. They don't understand that that's not love. You're not a parent. No. Shame on you. If any of you are listening, I'm calling you out to your face. Shame <laughs> on you. Yeah. Your, your children deserve to be loved and you know they they are the ones that have to live in that body that they were given and yeah. you know same with kids that are born with no left arm they yeah. have to live in that body but they go and get a prosthetic right we mm -hmm. fix that problem the little kid with leukemia we fix that problem don't we people that are deaf we now have devices that can make them hear again we fix that problem why is it so hard for you to understand that there's other problems we have to fix? Yeah. It's uh, it's an, it's enlightening for some, and for some, it's just, they're just not going to get it. Yeah, there's some people that no matter, for, for certain things, race, gender issues, all these types of things, uh, they're never going to change their mind. They've, they're dead set, and hopefully when they come back in another life, they're just going to, they're going to have an experience to really teach them about the truth. Yeah, because we, you know, if you want to get back into the supernatural and you, we are an immortal being trapped in a three-dimensional temporary existence. Yeah. And this is just a bus stop along a much longer journey, oh, is what yeah. I believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why, what, what possible motive do you have to pick on somebody. It feels like we're in high school again, right? Mm -hmm. um, how is somebody else's life affecting you? All right, you want to believe it's a choice. You want to believe that it's some sort of sin. Go right ahead. Yeah. I, can't, I can't change your mind and I, I don't have the energy to do it. But if that's the case and that's what you're going to believe, what possible thing is happening in your life that you have to make somebody else's life horrible you're not exactly. living by the words that you supposedly say you read in that book mm -hmm. and and shame on you for that yeah, and, regardless uh, of what you believe mind your own business yeah myob i love it yeah <laughs> yeah oh this was fun yeah thank you so much and so how how do the listeners find out all the amazing things that you're up to and inter other interviews you do where do they find information about you i think i own the first six pages of google <laughs> I know I know. there's a friend of mine in Hollywood writing my uh, Wikipedia page. Okay. I finally qualify to get my own Wikipedia page. Wonderful. The book is available everywhere books are sold, but obviously it seems like everybody buys their books from Amazon these days. As of December, it was the number two best-selling book in America. 
And I was so proud to have that happen in multiple categories, by the way, too. Mm, That's amazing. So I was really thrilled to have that bestowed upon me. I had no idea it would happen. Other than finding it that way, you can find me at amberrosewashington.com. And my next book, I believe, from what my publisher is saying, it's going to be late July, early August uh, for the release of that book. And that'll be on how to get over stage fright. I've helped a lot of people on American Idol. I've helped a lot of people on all these different places. And it's anything from giving a toast at a wedding all the way through how to be on TV in front of 15 million people. And Mm. I've done everything from from point A to point B, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Just two weeks ago, I was speaking in front of three and a half million people in San Francisco. And it was on the issues we were just talking about. (laughs) And so, you know, it's, it's not really... It's not really as scary as as you would think it is once you learn the trick. Oh, wonderful. And there is a trick. And during a few podcasts that I'm going to be on in the the near future, and I can't tell you what they are because I don't remember them off the top of my head, (laughs) I will be giving people tips that sort of lead into the book. And once you understand what is driving this insane feeling of fear in you, you can get rid of it. And, and quite honestly, you can turn that around on fear inside of a haunted house or anything else too. Because mm-hmm. it works on that whole mechanism of fear, that that thing that we call amygdala hijacking. Mm. So if you can get control of that, and I have a technique that has been proven to work within 48 hours, people say that's impossible. It's not impossible. And I've done it before. And I've had several people appear on American Idol that were absolutely terrified to be in front of an audience, a live audience, and they did wonderfully. So look at me, I'm not a comedian, right? I had a, I had last minute, this is when I was really young, I had to actually host, MC, a, a live comedy show in New York City. I had no idea, I was like, are you sure you want me? <laughs> I'm totally not funny at all. And they were like, no, we need you. You got like one minute to prepare. Here's the oh no, and I'm like, oh my god. So here I am in this room with 500 plus people in it, in this club, and the lights come on and they're all applauding as as the owner of the establishment calls me up to the stage and, and tells them what I had done in the music business and blah blah blah. And I get up on the stage and all the while I'm saying like, holy shit, what am I going to say to these people? <laughs> so you know what I did. I looked at him, you know, using my technique that I already knew, helped me to get to the following that I'm going to tell you really fast. I actually went in and I I, I started making fun of myself. I said, listen, you guys are probably the most unlucky people on the planet tonight because I happen to be the most unfunny person you're ever going to meet in your whole life. And they started laughing. (laughs) So apparently self-deprecation works. (laughs) Always. So there's a whole lot of little stories like that that come Sounds into it. Sounds so good. Yeah. And as far as the book goes with writing that horror movie, that supernatural horror, I will post that up on my website, you know, over the next uh, probably 30 to 60 days. Okay. And let people know what's happening there. That should be fun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'll make sure that the, the links are provided in the show notes for the links that I have. It has just been a blessing to have you here, Amber. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you. It was so much fun and, and pleasure was all mine. And y'all don't forget that you can go to the Bell, Book, and Candle website to comment on this episode as well as send me a little voice message. It's super easy, y'all. There's a little microphone at the bottom of the page, and I reckon I might use it on one of our future episodes. Take care, and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell, Book, and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at BellBookCandleSC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash BellBookCandle.